Welcome back to the Principal Podcast, everybody. Today's guest is Evan Burke. Thank you so much for having me and really excited to talk to you. Thanks a lot for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Um, we've been trying to get something on the books between the two of us for the past couple of weeks now. Um, and I'm glad that the day has finally arrived where our schedules worked out. So really, really excited to have this conversation with you and um, excited for you to be a guest on the show, man. Yeah, man, I'm glad we were connected. And uh, like I said uh, a moment ago, when I when I saw the questions and kind of the way that you wanted to take this conversation, uh, definitely wanted to set aside the appropriate amount of time. So we got a beautiful uh, Saturday morning here in Dallas, Texas, and I'm ready to rock and roll. Um, awesome. Well, Evan is a former NFL and college football coach. Um, he is now a keynote speaker and life coach for people looking to better understand how to effectively manage and lead teams. Evan, please um, introduce anything that you you think is um, important to your background. Yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I tell people I was an NFL and college football coach for 12 years. Uh, I coached at every level uh, from fourth grade football to the NFL uh, and everything in between. And uh, about six years ago, I uh, had kind of a moment and uh, transitioned away from coaching on the football field to coaching executives, coaching more corporate teams and, and coaching coaches. Uh, and, you know, really have, have discovered a, a newfound passion for that. Um, and uh, recently started a podcast about a year and a half ago called mm -hmm. The Highest Level uh, Podcast, which is a sports leadership podcast. And uh, also recently published my first book uh, in February 2022 uh, called Finding Intangibles, uh, which is really about how to take a character-based approach uh, versus a talent-based approach to team building and, and how uh, the character of your people is really the new competitive advantage for both sports teams and corporate teams. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly why I was excited to have this conversation in the first place. Obviously, you know, I'm sure that when you tell people that you coach in the NFL and at the collegiate levels, they're already super impressed and blown away. Um, but I thought about it a little bit differently just because my background is more in the business world as opposed to professional sports. Um, and I don't need to sit here and hammer out all the parallels that you can draw between leading effective teams, um, you know, on the, on the playing field and actually, you know, kind of rallying the troops from a business sense as well. Um, there's so many parallels that can be drawn between the two that like they're almost interchangeable at this point, which is why I think that finding intangibles was a, was a really, really good resource for anybody building a team in any capacity because, everybody kind of gets caught up and and this is something that we've been having a lot of conversations about on my podcast recently um everybody kind of gets caught up in oh i well you know i have 15 years of experience doing this and five years of experience doing that so that's why i'm the most qualified person for this this job or this position whatever um but your book kind of flips that thinking on its head and it's like yeah you know your experience and your talent is is important for sure right like no one is going to discredit that but we often take for granted the the character traits and these intangible aspects of of people's kind of um, behaviors right and we don't give those things enough credit and that's exactly what your book is trying to highlight which i think is super important and i would love to get into that conversation with you today too yeah 100 percent. i mean uh love talking about this sort of stuff and you know again really representative of the things that I was seeing in my coaching career. And, uh, you know, if we want to get into it now, we can, if we want to like shelf that, uh, for, for further in the conversation, we can too, but uh, I'm sure a lot of people would agree just kind of, you know, the character based approach and, and you see this on all the great 
great teams and you see it in all the elite performers as well. Maybe we can put a pin in it for now. I think it would be helpful for for the audience to get a sense what that moment was like for you. Like talk to us a little bit about, you know, you said that you coach anywhere from fourth grade kids to NFL athletes, right? So like talk to us a little bit about your background in coaching and then Really what I want to get into is what that moment was for you where you decided that you were going to make the switch into kind of becoming more of like a life coach and and helping people um, with some of these concepts that we discuss. For the audience that's not familiar, a typical football coach, uh, their background is that they were either a very high level college player or they were a former pro player and, and they get into coaching or they are the son of a NFL executive or an NFL coach or a high-level college coach. That is a very typical path for most coaches. Yep. Uh, and obviously, that is not my path. I have a very unconventional path, and I am not the typical football coach. I, I don't look it in stature, uh, and I don't have it in terms of my pedigree. And so uh, I'm very proud of that aspect, and that's why I kind of share it here. Um, and as I kind of like started to go through the college and the pro ranks, um, you know, obviously I was met with a lot of resistance because I didn't look the part and because nobody knew my name or I didn't have that pedigree. Um, but yet I was still able to access these, these, these rooms that are some of the most exclusive rooms in all of professional sports. So, um, you know, I, I spent four years at SMU, which is a division one school here in Dallas, Texas, um, and was fortunate to kind of work in every aspect of the organization. Uh, after four years uh, at SMU, I then went to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I started there as a, 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 an intern in their video department and was able to uh, work my way into a special teams assistant role uh, while I was there. Uh, from there, I, I went to McMurray University, which is a Division II school out in West Texas, Abilene, Texas. Uh, and from there, I went to UCLA to, to work with the quarterbacks um, uh, in 2014 and 2015. So um, that's kind of uh, the, I guess, uh, semi-high-level view of my, of my coaching career. There's obviously a tons of successes and, and huge failures and setbacks, uh, in that story. Um, but you know, again, kind of like the thing that I like to point out to people is that, you know, I was able to go from fourth grade football to the NFL in six years and, um, to kind of foreshadow, I guess the theme of my book, it had nothing to do with my talent and it had nothing to do with, uh, my previous experience or who my dad was. It had everything to do with all of the character traits that I brought with me every single day to work. Super powerful. And I'm glad that you said that. Um, it almost makes me wonder if you're just like an incredible networker, right? Because as somebody who has literally zero experience with this world, I can't imagine that, you know, going from your your first role to, you know, going to the um, to go be an intern with the Miami Dolphins is as simple as submitting an application online and then just going through a formal interviewing process, right? Like I imagine that there's so many more moving parts there in terms of being connected with the right people, especially given that you were an outsider, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, funny you should bring that up. So first of all, I'm super passionate about networking. Um, I'm actually putting on a professional development series for the SMU student athletes uh, this fall here, actually starting at the end of this month in August uh, 2022. That really covers, you know, how, how to 
create your own elevator pitch, how to network, um, how to use LinkedIn, social media to your advantage, how, how mm-hmm. to succeed in the interview process. Uh, so I'm very excited about that, but I'm super passionate about networking and you're 100% right. I mean, a lot of this had to do with like my own self-awareness of who I was and who I wasn't and how I came across to people and um, doing everything I could not only to put myself in those rooms, uh, but also how to gain the trust of people extremely fast once I got into those rooms. And I don't really know a ton about football in terms of my upbringing and I may not be the greatest strategist. Um, but that is something that I was able to excel at unlike really anybody I've ever met in my coaching career. Um, so I'm Mm -hmm. very proud of that. And I think like the networking piece, like when I left SMU, so I was at SMU for four years, you know, I'm still super young. I'm 26 at the time. I really don't know that many people. And so I'd worked with maybe 20 coaches in my career and, um, I wanted to give a go at the NFL. So what I did was I created a spreadsheet and that spreadsheet basically listed out everywhere that the 20 coaches that I had worked with before had worked from 1970 to 2009. And I actually like went in and manually filled out where they coached every single year. Mm-hmm. And then I did another separate spreadsheet with every employee in the NFL, um, every coach, every scout, every player personnel person, every general manager, any front office individual that I could find online. I put them on this spreadsheet and I did the same thing, 1970 wow. to 2009. Yeah. And then what I did, because I didn't know anybody, was I just like put my network spreadsheet on top of the NFL spreadsheet in anywhere that I saw that somebody had worked with somebody else, regardless of if I've ever heard of that person, regardless if those people were friends or not, I didn't even know. Uh, mm-hmm. I just wrote that person a letter. And what I did was because I didn't want to just send a typed cover letter, I hand wrote all of these letters. Wow. And that ended up being 450 handwritten letters that I wrote to seemingly every single individual in the NFL that had a front office coaching or scouting job. And uh, out of those 450 handwritten letters, and they were very simple, right? Like, hey, Coach Smith, I'm Evan Burke. I'm here at SMU. Uh, You work with Coach Jones. He says great things about you. I'm going to be at the Senior Bowl in Mobile in February. I'd love to meet you and get your advice on getting a job in the NFL. Like, very simple, Um, but also very like specific in the way that I was writing all of these letters and, uh, out of 450 handwritten letters, I ended up getting 12 responses that ended up leading to three interviews that ended up leading to my opportunity with the Miami dolphins. So, uh, I'm huge on networking and just kind of like, uh, finding your people, uh, Mm -hmm. through the, through the networking process why would I play the same game that everybody else is playing? Like that almost is, doesn't even make sense. What makes sense is like, well, for me personally, like I've always been very big on like handwritten letters. Okay. So like, I'm not just going to, I'm not just going to type a cover letter. I'm going to handwrite all these letters. Is that, is that an insane amount of work? Is that like insane that I even did that spreadsheet and had to manually fill out where all these people 
people worked and like I didn't even know if they knew these people. Yeah, that's insane. But like I'm not going to win at the game that everybody else is playing. So it's like I had to find another ladder to access this level. And this was the way that I was going to do it. Now, I will tell you candidly, I had no idea if this was going to work. Right. But I think like the key in all of this is like I decided that I wanted to go to the NFL and I had like a clear plan. First of all, I have to I have to commend that level of grunt work because 99 percent of people won't ever do that level of grunt work. Like putting in the hours of research to create both of those lists and then actually handwriting 450 letters, like one out of a thousand people might do that. Like, so, right. so that's, that's amazing. Where did this idea of handwriting letters come from, by the way, because I've, I've obviously heard like, yeah, you want to personalize like any DMS that you send out. And like, anytime that I'm reaching out to guests, like I always try to per- be as personal as I can, but I think handwriting is, is kind of like taking that to the next level. So where did that idea come from for you? Yeah. So like, uh, have you ever noticed, is there anything that like your parents talked about when you were younger or like something about you as a younger person that is now like very evident in who you are as an adult now? Does that ring true to you, Arjun? Is there anything that comes to mind? A few things, a few things that like my mom would say when I was younger and I would just brush it off like, oh, what do you know, mom? And now a lot of those things are, are very much ingrained in my personality. Oh, uh, relatable for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, hundred percent. Um, yeah, I, I was just asking because like, for whatever reason, when I was younger, I was, uh, whether it was through my parents or just like my own natural personality, uh, I was always writing letters. Like that was just part of my thing. Um, mm-hmm. like I remember we went to Disney world when I was like six years old and I had like written this letter to Mickey mouse. And it was like the Literally, it was the point of my life up to that point was to get this letter to Mickey Mouse. Um, and uh, throughout like my life, like handwritten letters have been a huge part of me and just like like who I am and like specific to coaching. Again, like it takes time to to handwrite a letter or to meet somebody, a stranger at a, a convention or a networking event and like go back and write them an email, let alone a handwritten letter. But this all goes back to what I was saying a moment ago, which is like, I'm not normal. Like nobody is going to remember me. I didn't have some amazing moment in the Rose Bowl as a player where everybody's going to be like, oh man, like I was there or I saw that. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows who I am. So like, what am I going to do to help separate myself in just one small way? And I think like, you know, to the point, a lot of people would be like, wow, you wrote 450 letters and you only got 12 responses. Like, wouldn't it have been a lot easier if you just knew who the 12 people that were going to respond to you and just write those? It's like, yeah, but that's not the way it works. Like you can't pick and choose. Like if that's going to be your path, if that's going to be your calling card, you have to do it consistently. You have to do it every single day, or you have to have that be a core piece of like your networking I say strategy, but like, honestly, this is like more of who I am. Uh, Like if I'm going to meet somebody, like I have a, you know, I've been fortunate in just my experiences where it's like, I'll have, I've had the opportunity to sit down with uh, owners of NFL teams. I've had the opportunity to interview with NFL head coaches. Okay. Well, am I just going to shoot that guy a text and say, Hey, thanks for breakfast. That was great. Talk soon. 
Am I going to write that in an email? Like boring, delete, like forget. Like if I get in front of those people, even if they don't remember me, I'm going to do everything that I can to create some type of relationship or kind of memorialize that moment. Cause like those people didn't need to do that for me, especially just in like the hierarchy of football. And so when you do that, are you just going to like send them a nice email? Sure. That's fine. That gets easily deleted. Uh, but it does kind of separate you when you actually like take the time to send a note like that. Uh, and I think personally kind of says a little bit about who you are and what you stand for as well. This is, it's funny that you wrote a book called Finding Intangibles because this is, this is almost like your intangible trait, right? Like most people won't even think this way. They won't be like, oh, how can I put in another extra two hours of work to try to be more memorable and for this guy to actually appreciate that he took time out of his or her, you know, he or she took time out of their day to sit down and have this conversation with me, which was completely one-sided because they're really doing me a favor. Most people won't even think that way. They'll just be like, oh yeah, I'll shoot them a text and say, oh, thanks a lot for coffee. This was great. Let's keep in touch. Like no one's going to give a shit about you that way. Like you have to yeah. try to be a little bit more memorable. Um, yes. So I think it's funny because that's that's your intangible trait right there. Like that's something that most people don't have. And yeah. that separates you from the pack. And, and, you know, I was doing all of this so I could go approach people at the senior bowl, which is kind of like the college all-star game. It's where all of the NFL executives, all of the NFL scouts, all the NFL coaches go every year in January, February. And um, I'm going to walk up to these people that I've looked up to my whole career and I'm going to introduce myself and I'm going to try and get a job with them. Okay. Well, am I just going to do that like cold without even knowing them, without even having a connection? So what I did was I hand wrote every single person that was going to be there. And like, it specifically happened where I would like walk up to people and I would know, I would say, okay, I'm going to walk up to the GM of the Denver Broncos. He's right there. He's got every single scout under his employment surrounding him. As soon as practice ends, I'm going to walk up to him and I'm going to introduce myself. And this literally happened. I, I walked down, down the, the steps of the stadium, walked right in front of him, introduced myself. I said, Hey, I'm Evan Burke. I, I'm a GA at SMU. I wrote you a letter a while ago. Oh, you're at SMU. Did you write handwrite me a note and staple your business card to the top right hand corner of your? Uh, oh yeah, that's me. Oh uh, yeah, I got your letter. It's sitting on my desk. So you know, it was just like this small way of getting in front of somebody that I otherwise would not have a chance to get in front of, who otherwise would just forget me as one of the. 200 people that walked up to that person introduced himself that day. Um, and this was just a further way for me to separate myself. Uh, and, and again, like obviously build your network, but like, let's be honest, like at the end of 2009, going into 2010, I'm looking for a job. I want to be yeah. in the NFL. This is not a long-term yeah, I'm planting seeds, but also like I need something here fast. And so, um, Again, that was my unique path. That was kind of my strategy, um, which is different, but it also kind of needed to be a little bit different specific to what you said, where like, I can't, you know, on quote unquote talent, I can't really compete with these people. But I think like, to your point, you were kind of alluding to it a moment ago. Like, if you are looking at two people and you just look at our resumes, 
um, you're going to miss the greatest part about me as an employee or as a football coach, right? Like the thing that makes me great isn't that I played uh, like one of the greatest games in the Rose Bowl. It's not that my dad was like an all-time great coach and I grew up playing on, you know, NFL fields pregame while my dad was a coach there. Like that's not me. What is What makes me different is that like I have this unique burning passion to be a part of this and and to be uh, an impactful positive leader within the coaching space and like look at what I'm willing to go through to get to the highest levels um and and like I talk a little bit about this in my book in terms of like passion and heart and like nothing that you're going to hire me for is probably because I'm the smartest football coach but it's like all of the other things uh that make me a valuable asset to all the teams and staffs that I've been a part of so these are the things that get overlooked quite often because honestly Arjun like it's hard um, you have to actually like talk to somebody. You have to actually like ask these questions. I mean, yep. I, you even asked me to tell you about my, my story and I kind of glossed over that. It wasn't until you brought up the, the aspect of networking that I actually shared this piece, which quite honestly is like one of the biggest parts of my story. And I think like mm-hmm. in interviews in particular, whether it's like evaluating a player or in the corporate environment, it's like, we just like, we want to compare resumes. Like we don't really want to do a whole lot of work. We don't want to do the digging. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, and and you can operate like that. And like, look, you can accumulate a lot of talent in sports and still win games and still get results. But Mm -hmm. like, I'm not talking about that. Like ultimately talent is the easiest thing to judge. And if you're just building your team on talent, what competitive advantage do you have? Mm -hmm. Literally outside of acquiring a once in a generation player in, in football, let's just be specific. Like that everybody's using the same strategy. Like you, you Mm -hmm. have no advantage. Uh, So if you don't get Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, like you're just a team of talented players now, a lot of people I've coached with would say, yeah, that's what it's about. Uh, but I would push back because if you look at all of the great teams, uh, the, the New England Patriots, the um, San Antonio Spurs, the Alabama uh, football team. Oh, the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's, right? Like, and the Oakland A's actually exist in probably a different category, right? Because like they've never even had the quote unquote talent, but they've had this combination of talent that has resulted in more than what the actual talent on the field can deliver for them. And that's what you see in the best teams. Like everybody points to Tom Brady as like, and by the way, like Tom Brady, I think is the best football player of all time. He's my favorite football player of all time. But like, let's not kid ourselves here. He's not a talented individual in terms of playing quarterback. Like when we're talking about playing the quarterback position, like Drew Bledsoe at the time in 2000 was the most talented prospect in like the last 50 years at the quarterback position, right? Like he has all of that. He is literally, if you were to say, create a quarterback, you would say, oh, he's going to be 6'6", 250. He's going to throw the ball an absolute mile. Um, like he's the guy that you, sorry, not to cut you off. He's the guy that you, like when you're playing Madden and you go to my player mode, like that's the player you create, right? You create somebody like Cam Newton, who's like an absolute stud. 
Now you're speaking you my language, Arjun. You, yes. don't, you don't build a Tom Brady, but Tom right. Brady's the greatest. For everything that he's not on the field, right? Um, yeah. I guess maybe he is on the field, but like, you know, the like one of the things I'm thinking about is like the coachability of Tom Brady. Like a yeah. lot of great players do not allow themselves to be coached. Yep. They want to be babied. They want to be felt special. What typically happens is like those star players get a big head. They get a big contract. They start dating the celebrity. And it's like, I don't want to walk into my team meeting room on Monday morning and be, and be told everything that I did wrong. Now, listen, like you need talent. I'm not saying you can't have talent, um, but like talent is essential to success, but success is not determined by talent. And I call this the talent paradox. And now I'm starting to get like deep into like the thoughts of my book. But it's this idea that like, you know, let's be honest here. If I couldn't do those jobs that I'm kind of outlining that I kind of did at SMU or at the NFL, like they wouldn't have even entertained me. But the reason I was able to get in the door is maybe through these other intangible aspects. But if I couldn't deliver in terms of what they wanted me to do every day, it was very unlikely that they were going to keep me or, or even like consider me. But because I could do the job and because I had all these other aspects to me, that's kind of what allowed me to get in the door, but then also allowed me to flourish and, and, and kind of continue to elevate my roles and my game as I, as I progress. So it's the yeah. same thing in any corporate environment or any sport right? Like it's like mm-hmm. the talent will get you there, but like what gets you here will not get you there. I love that you used Moneyball, um, the movie about the Oakland A's and how like they were the team that had such a smaller budget than like some of these major market teams, but they were able to come up and, and compete with the same um, teams who had like all the superstars with them, right? Like the Yankees, mm-hmm. the Red Sox, etc. Um We touched on it and, and, we kind of have a sense of some of the traits, some of the intangible qualities that we that you really need to look out for, right? Like you want the people who are gritty, you want the people who have humility, the ones who are always striving for more and and they don't get complacent when they've had the victories or or whatever, right? Like these are some of the things that we really, really want. Being coachable, et cetera, right? Um, and I'll let, you know, people can grab a copy of your book and, and read through it to really dig into some of the, the other traits, um, yes, that are available important. on Amazon, available on Amazon, go get it. We'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> but the, the question that I wanted to ask you is how do you find out if somebody has these intangible qualities? Like what are some of the questions? What are some of the leading questions that you can ask? Or what are some of the observations that you can make? How can you determine if someone has heart, right? Like these are super, super important to assembling a team with those intangible qualities. How do you, how do you make that happen? Yeah, I, I think quite simply, uh, you have to, you have to put the work in, right? So you have to look beyond the resume. You have to look beyond the stats and you have to get to know that person. Um, and this, I fully acknowledge like this takes time. It takes effort and, but it is what is needed to kind of like dig into these unseen traits. I mean, they're, they're literally immeasurable. Uh, they are qualitative, not quantitative. So like you cannot say, oh, you know, this person has five out of 10 passion. You have to actually be able to tell 
why you believe that person has passion uh, or why they have a growth mindset or the ability to be coached or the ability to have success regardless of the circumstances. Uh, quite oftentimes, that's going to come from, you know, th what has happened in their past. Uh, so you have to really kind of get to know somebody. And then you you actually brought up a really great point earlier uh, in terms of digging deeper. And you actually did this with me just now. Uh, like, hey, Evan, tell me about your career. Like, I could still be talking about my career. Oh, and then this happened. And I thought I was going to get, you know, that's not that's not how I'm going to present my story. That's how nobody is going to present their story, right? They're going to tell you in a very 50 to 30,000 foot view of like what their story is. And you have to do kind of exactly what you did. Obviously, you've been kind of like, you, you are familiar with me. You've read my bio and everything. But like, I presented that to you. And then what was your follow-up? Your follow-up question was, oh, wow, wait. So you were able to go from youth football to the NFL in six years? Like, how did you do that? And like, that's a very simple question, but that's a question that not a lot of people dig into, right? Um, you, you know, you're missing the story if you just say, oh, NFL and college football coach, right? Like there's a whole backstory to that. And so you really have to dig deep and understand who that person is. I talk in my book about finding the person's story. And I think that's really the key in all of this. So you have to have like this minimum level of talent, but there's a ton of talented guys that fail all the time because they don't have any of these traits. Like they look for situations where they don't have to compete. They value themselves in terms of their results. So they seek out situations where they are assured of getting the results. So they, they, they avoid challenges in both practice and in the games. Uh, they make excuses. They don't allow themselves to be coached. Uh, they don't want to be great. So like you have to understand that about a person. And quite honestly, it's very easy just to, to lean on the talent side. And that's where I think a lot of teams go wrong is that they don't build teams of character. So then uh, just like in life, in sports, when adversity hits, like you don't have the character to withstand that adversity. And time and time and time and time again, the people that are successful in life and the people that are successful in business and the people that are successful in sports have this ability to get knocked down and continue to get up and not only get up, but they get up better than they were before they got knocked down. Because of the nature of, you know, obviously sports, like these guys are some of the most, you know, some of the most admired celebrities that we look up to. And like some of the things that they're able to do are just like superhuman in nature, right? Like, obviously, Antonio Brown is a fantastic example of this, like the greatest, one of the greatest wide receivers to ever play the game is unemployed. Like, what are we doing? Like, what's going on here? This doesn't yeah. seem right, right? But like, this obviously goes a lot is a lot more noticed in professional sports because it's it's stuff that we all care about and like it's a very select few group of athletes that are subject to this much scrutiny but i actually think this happens in the business world all the time right like let's think about the typical interview process for for like any job like let's say it's like a finance job right like let's get a stack of resumes from these people um that are only from these five target schools that we look at right or you know, they're, they're this guy's son or, or this person's daughter or whatever. Right. 
Okay, let's go through these resumes. Well, this one, person A has a you know a three point eight GPA from Harvard, and this person has you know person B has a three point five GPA from you know Bentley, for example, right? Like, oh, okay, well, we'll just completely ignore the Bentley guy's resume, right? And you have the conversation with the Harvard kid and like, you know, you, you go through two rounds of interviews and then you show them a case study and they ace it and then they're hired. And like, that's all that matters. And it doesn't matter how, how much adversity that person has faced, how much they've had to overcome, how much humility they've, they've showed and, and how much they're able to put their ego aside for the greater benefit of the overall team, right? Like none of these things are even remotely taken into account and it's completely blatant, but like, Nobody really even talks about it, right? Because like these aren't professional athletes. Like nobody really cares at the end of the day whether this team does as well as it's supposed to or or the team completely fails, right? Like to the organization, sure, it's super important, but to people like you and me, like I could care less what happens, right? And, yeah. and it's funny how all the things that you just said, all of those anecdotes that you just shared are super relevant to the business world. And like if some of these companies and organizations paid more attention to digging deeper and like really taking their time to unpack these stories, they would have far more successful teams um, in the long run. It's just like you need so much more patience and energy to to actually do that than to like just compare resumes. Yeah. And I think also to your point, like you have to understand who you are. Where I think a lot of teams go wrong is like they don't reverse engineer what actually leads to success in roles or what actually leads for their team to have success. Um, they just hear, you know, again, any team can say, oh, well, this team had success because like they have these type of players, but you have to understand like the, the other aspects and you're, you're, you know, you're talking about the difference between the Harvard candidate and the Bentley candidate. And like something that I see a lot of times is people go through the interview process and it's like, well, this person has experience with Salesforce, uh, but this other person, they haven't used Salesforce before. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, okay, I've never used Salesforce, um, but I've been using a computer every single day of my life for the last 20 years. So like, um, are you asking me to code Salesforce's app? Like, or are you just asking me to use it? Because I guarantee you, whatever you're asking me to do, I can, I can know by the end of next week, Right. Or I'm just going to type it into YouTube and have YouTube tell me what it is. So like how much of a differentiating factor is having had experience at Salesforce or with Salesforce um, or, or any other piece of software versus um, what actually leads to success in a role? Well, I'm sure a lot of it is like learning new things, like being coachable, doing what you're told or like whatever these pieces of your role or that specific role dictate, you should be reverse engineering for that. So as I'm talking about like sports and looking for people that have overcome adversity or just experiences similar to that, um, in the business world, it might be just as simple as like learning something new. And like, if that's the case, then like you want to ask people in the interview process, maybe substitute looking for responding to adversity with learning new things. Uh, resourcefulness, for example. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I think it all goes back to understanding who you are and like what leads to success. Mm -hmm. You know what else I find fascinating about your approach? I feel like 
I feel like it's commonplace advice to tell people to just take the emotions out of your decision making. Like separate your emotions from reality and make decisions purely based on the facts. And like nowhere in your book or nowhere in this conversation and I, I can't find any any place online where you've been like, oh yeah, you need to separate separate your emotions from your decision making entirely. Like that's just not I just don't think humans are capable of of completely doing that and like if you really try to do that entirely and take that absolutist approach, like I don't think that's natural, right? And like yeah. you never advise anybody to do that, and that's not how you're. That's not your whole thesis either, right? Like you're very much in tune with the emotions and kind of like the um, the, the vibes that you get from somebody, right? Like all of these things go into your into your kind of. Um, perspective on them and like whether or not they can be molded to fit the identity of the organization that you're creating. Yeah. I find that really fascinating. That that is well that's fascinating that you pointed that out because I don't know if that was a conscious decision, mm-hmm. but as you're kind of describing it, like that I think that's the reality. And again, I'm looking at it through the lens of like a coach and like through the sports lens, but Again, it's it's no different than evaluating candidates for a role than you are evaluating players. And like there is just a certain type of experience that you have as a coach or as a decision maker that led you to this point, um, a certain understanding you have about your team and a certain feeling that you get about certain players. And you know, it's not that you should just say like, well, everything tells me we should select this person. So like, let's just throw everything out the window. I think it does need to be balanced. But, um, you know, again, like if I'm sitting with two individuals and one I feel really great about and I feel really great about their energy, like that might lead me as a decision maker within my experience, within the experience of getting to know that person to say like, I don't care about anything else. Like I want this person on my team. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And like understanding the context of the situation, maybe the the other individual is going through some things. Maybe the other individual uh, that I'm like really excited about their energy is like using drugs. Like, I don't know what the deal is. Right. So like there are, Everything you have to understand the story, uh, but I think like separate of that, we are humans making human decisions. Like there is no hundred percent right answer, and I think like that's one of the things when you're talking about selecting for a team. Like uh, it's kind of like the path. Like there's two paths you can take your team down with this selection, and both can lead to the same back to the same place, but how you get there can be completely different based on who those decisions are. Right. We see Mm -hmm. it, I think specifically in leadership where it's like, Oh, like we're going to get this hard nosed disciplined coach in here. He's going to turn things around. But then like for teams that are like super hardcore disciplined, you see them saying like, Hey, we're going to get a guy that's like a little more personable. It's really about creating a culture of excellence. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's really a book about culture because everything that I talk about in the book is about like to start off with, like understanding who you are and then reverse engineering that and finding that in your people, because ultimately your people become your culture. Right. It's more so about identifying who you and your organization are and then going out and finding the puzzle pieces that align with that identity. 
yeah. as opposed to doing it the other way around. Yes. And I think, I think a lot of people view it the other way around, right? It's the talent based approach. It's like, get as much talent in here and then we can build the culture that we want. And like, I just have never seen that work on any sustained level. And you, you know, you were mentioning emotion a moment ago and I started going off on tangents, but I think like this is where a lot of this plays in, um, you know, in the corporate world, it's a much shorter timeline. In sports, we have years sometimes to evaluate these people, get to know them, go into a school and talk to the janitor, um, talk to the the academic counselors. Like those are the best conversations you can have because the players are really who they are as a person with those invisible people. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to, uh, it's kind of like you were saying earlier, they're going to like cheat personality test. They're going to like behave a certain way in front of the coach that determines their playing time. But like how they treat the janitor or the academic counselor, the people that they think do not have an influence on them is really indicative of who their true, true personality is. And so like, if you don't have all that time and like you kind of determine, okay, it's going to be two weeks for this hiring process and we're going to interview 10 people on zoom and we're going to bring four people in person and we're going to make a decision after that. And these three people are all going to be involved in the interview and decision-making process. Well, like, you know, don't waste your time sitting down with me after I've already sent you my resume and like sit down and say like, Hey, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your resume. Right. Like you have to have an actual conversation, not just like, oh, hey, why did you like, why didn't you work from March 2008 to, you know, May 2009? It's actually like, oh, like, what were you doing in that time? Oh, was that tough for you? Oh, were you going through any, you know, like you have to understand what was happening, not just looking at it as like, oh, let me just ask the standard interview question. So I think like when it comes down to it, you have a limited amount of time. And I think there is an element of emotion that is going to have to be involved in any of this. Um, But again, like I can't just take somebody who makes decisions on another team and bring them into my team and say, okay, yeah, you're going to be involved in this decision-making process. Ideally, we're all aligned in what we're looking for. uh, And we are all kind of like in tune emotionally to these character traits that, that end up leading to this success in whatever environment and industry we compete in. Yeah. And that was kind of like the whole reason that I mentioned that comment in the first place, right? Because it's just unrealistic to think that you can completely take emotion out of this equation when like we are emotional creatures, whether some, you know, some of us might be more emotional than others, but at the end of the day, these are very emotional decisions. These are a lot of times very important decisions for people, whether, you know, you're, you're talking about a sports field or you're talking about somebody's next job, whatever the case may be these are highly, highly emotional decisions. And it's just not realistic to just say, oh yeah, let's just completely separate the two. It's not yeah. how it works. Yes. And like, you know, you mentioned Moneyball earlier. It's kind of, you know, you're making, you're putting me down like this, uh, or you're taking me down this like interesting thought experiment, right? Where it's like Moneyball, as much as it is like praise, is this like amazing uh, way of building a team. If you really think about it, there's zero emotion involved. Like if Michael Lewis was on here with us, he would tell us like that we're crazy. You don't build teams with any emotion, um, but like specific in the vacuum that Moneyball exists in, like 
that is a different story than what we're talking about. We're talking about creating a culture for winning a championship. We're talking about a culture that people want to be a part of. We're talking about like a, a sustained success, sustained excellence, uh, always striving to be our very best. We're not talking about getting results. And I think like Moneyball is really a non-emotional way of building your team that gets you a very non-emotional team. Um, now, like, is can you have a successful team that is devoid of emotion? And what I mean by this is like Moneyball is strictly about who gets like this many on on base percentage points? Uh, who pitches this many whatever points? And like, let's put all these guys together. There is no talk about chemistry. There is no um, like you know building a team outside of like what is on the field and what the numbers represent. Now, in one sense, like yeah, we're all judged on our results, but like in the same sense, like Moneyball hasn't done shit, right? Um, and like, if you talk about, if you start talking about the Boston Red Sox and like their Im implementation of Moneyball, and I'm sorry, Moneyball for the Oakland A's hasn't done shit, right? Like they haven't won, but, but like the Boston Red Sox, they have like this way of building, they have like certain personalities on their team that have elevated the collective whole of their team. And it's oftentimes the worst players on their team, quote unquote. It's never the David Ortiz or the Pedro Martinez. It's all these other players. And like actually Theo Epstein talked about the difference between how he built Boston and how he built Chicago. Um, and he talked about kind of like utilizing the chemistry of the clubhouse as a competitive advantage in Chicago. They had a little bit of it in Boston, but I don't think it was as manufactured as it was in Chicago. So like, it's interesting because like when you take emotion out of it in the Oakland days example, that's great. They've been able to be competitive. They've been able to get results, quote unquote, win games. But like, I'm not in it to win games. Like I'm in it to be the best the best that I can be. I want to realize my potential. And so maybe that is the Oakland A's potential, but like, you know, we're sitting here in a results driven or a, a results oriented sport that is judged on championships and the Oakland A's have never been there. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of all over the place, but it's very interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think your point, your point really is that it only took them so far, right? Like, yeah, yes, you can, you can run all the analytics in the world and like it, it did take them, you know, far from being the lottery team that they were. Yes. But it also didn't make them the championship team that they wanted to be either. So there's, there's still a missing element there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you've got a couple speaking engagements coming up that I'd love to uh, give you a chance to give a shout out for, but how can people find you online, Evan? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, my book that we've been talking about, Finding Intangibles, is available on Amazon. Uh, online, I'm on every social media that I can manage myself, um, at Coach Evan Burke. Uh, Twitter is probably the best place to find me. Um, and then uh, I also have a podcast, The Highest Level Podcast, which is available on all podcast platforms. Yeah, that's pretty epic for anybody who is interested in the sports and leadership worlds coming together. Highest level podcast, highly recommend it. And um, I'll be sure to link to all those things in, in the show notes for this episode, man. But this was an awesome conversation and uh, I really do appreciate your time again. And I think that people have a lot to learn about finding intangibles. So please do check it out.
Arjun, thank you for having me, man. And uh, it was fun getting fired up with you here on a Saturday morning. So thank you for having me. Hell yeah, dude. What a, what a way to start the day. I mean, I think I'm ready to take <laughs> on anything now. Oh, we're dominating this weekend without question. That's right.